The all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more. Stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. Plus, it features wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. Chevy Colorado. Made for more. Learn more at Chevrolet.com slash truck slash Colorado. Claims based on latest competitive data. This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 129 of the On The Banks podcast. I'm your host and managing editor, Aaron Brightman. Thanks so much for listening once again. Things are really picking up here at On The Banks. Heading into the last week of February, the stretch run for the winter sports and spring sports uh, really uh, in bloom now, uh, several weeks in. Lots to cover. Uh, first, just wanted to recap. We currently have five different Rutgers athletics teams ranked in the national polls. This week, men's lacrosse off to a 4-0 start, moved up to number five in the latest coaches poll, had a uh, hard-fought, very important victory over number 10 Army uh, in Piscataway last weekend, won 13-10, uh, to 10. Ronan Jacoby, six goals, Huge win for for the Scarlet Knights, uh, off to a great start. And we'll face another ranked team this weekend on the road at number 19, Loyola. A lot of expectations for head coach Brian Breck's team off of last year's uh, NCAA tournament quarterfinals appearance. Uh, And they've really hit the ground running. Lots of uh, returnees, but also key transfers as well. And the team's really meshing well. In addition, women's lacrosse. Huge come-from-behind victory at Georgetown this past weekend. They were down um, as many as five goals midway through the third period. They were down three midway through the fourth quarter. Finished the game on a 5-1 to run. Preseason All-American Cassidy Spillis uh, scoring back-to-back goals uh, to clinch the victory for the Scarlet Knights. Uh, head coach Melissa Lehman off to a 3-0 and start this year. Great start for them. The addition of Stephanie Kelly, St. Joe's transfer former uh, last year co-offensive player of the year for St. Joe's, um, really making a huge impact for women's across this season, along with T.T. Nislonski, one of the best players in program history. She's about to eclipse, become the fourth player ever to have 200 points for her career. And they host uh, Lehigh uh, this weekend as they look to continue their hot start. Women's gymnastics, a team we've been talking about uh, we had head coach uh, Ume Salim Beasley, uh, as well as Brecht and Lehman on the podcast uh, recently before their season started. Just producing program record after program record, meet after meet. They moved into the national rankings this week for the first time, now ranked number 24th. Really doing some uh, you know, great things all around uh, this season. Wrestling had two big wins uh, this past weekend over Princeton. Big rivalry, of course. And then also Columbia won their last two dual meets of the season. Uh, They're ranked number 14th nationally, now getting ready for the Big Ten Championships. Lots to look forward to with wrestling. In addition, not ranked, but significant nonetheless, uh, Rutgers women's swimming and diving captured their highest Big Ten finish, excuse me, their highest finish in Big Ten Championship history for the program. Lots of uh, progress, finishing eighth. Abigail Napton, uh, the Nebraska transfer, uh, having a a great year on the platform diving, uh, set the school record. And also uh, the swimming, uh, you know, multiple achievements there, school record uh, on the 400 free for the, the relay team. 
and they broke seven school records overall uh, at the Big Ten Championship. So progress there. We've mentioned progress previously with the track and field in the indoor season also. Women's basketball earned their second Big Ten win of the season on the road at Minnesota. Did suffer a loss to Purdue at home this past weekend, but um, great to see that team continuing to fight. But really the story that I wanted to focus on for this podcast episode is Rutgers men's basketball. Another tremendous win at home last week against number 12, Illinois. You know, the rack faithful coming alive. Tremendous environment. You know, this team just continues to come together. Did uh, suffer a uh, loss at the hands of first place and number five, now number four. Purdue Boilermakers, a team that Rutgers has beaten four times in a row before Sunday's matchup at Mackey Arena, which I think is the best environment in the Big Ten aside from the rack. The Boilermakers got off to a tremendous start, made six of their first nine threes. Rutgers looked on the ropes early, but in in true fashion, the way this team's played over the last month, fought back, um, made it a one-point game late in the first half, had a crucial technical foul called on Cliff Omuri. You know, something he's going to have to learn from, got caught up in the emotions. And, you know, this is something Steve Peichel pointed out after the game. I didn't think about it, but, you know, it was the first time he's ever played there, you know, after last year with no crowds. Um, you know, being a sophomore, he he's still he's still got, um, you know, a learning curve just in terms of, you know, adjusting to life on the road in the Big Ten. So I thought that was a, a interesting tidbit I hadn't thought about. Overall, you know, I thought they played really hard. They never gave up. Paul Mulcahy was excellent in the second half once again. You know, lost by 12 points. Matt Painter singing the praises of Steve Peichel and Rutgers after the game, basically demanding that Rutgers is included in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, still work to be done. Right now, the team's 10 and 6 in the Big Ten, 16 and 10 overall. Two weeks to go in the regular season. They play at Michigan on Wednesday, and then they uh, host Wisconsin at home on Saturday, followed by a road game at Indiana next week, and then concluding the regular season. Uh, with Penn State on senior night at the rack. Right now, holding steady at number 80 in the net rankings. Obviously, you know, higher than any team has ever made the NCAA tournament if they were to stay there. Last year, Michigan State was, and a few years previous, St. John's, they were in the 70s and made the NCAA tournament. So, you know, obviously work to be done. And, you know, the storylines for Wednesday are, are, are plentiful after Michigan head coach Juwan Howard got into an altercation with Wisconsin and the handshake line uh, includes players Musa Diabate and Terrence Williams. All three were suspended. Howard for the season, uh, Diabate and Williams for this game on Wednesday against Rutgers. Howard not being there is a loss for Michigan. Phil Martelli, a coach I've admired for a long time with his work at St. Joe's, is going to take over Michigan. Um, so not necessarily a slip up there at all. Um, I'm sure he's you know, been in charge of, of game planning for Michigan all season. So he'll be on the sidelines for Michigan against uh, Rutgers on Wednesday. And then key losses with Diabate. You know, he's a starter. He had 15 points, nine rebounds, two steals against Rutgers at the rack. You know, he had 28 in the win over Iowa uh, two games ago for the Wolverines. And definitely a player that's gotten better as the year has gone on. He's, he's been a little bit up and down. He had three points in, in the game against Wisconsin. Um, but still a significant loss, especially on the defensive end inside and then you have Terrence Williams who's basically the sixth man for Michigan six in minutes you know not huge numbers and also missed the first game at in Piscataway you know definitely a big loss Michigan the rotation is going to be uh, a lot thinner going into this key matchup for two bubble teams obviously a massive massive opportunity for Rutgers on the road to earn a key quad one victory 
and uh, really strengthen their NCAA tournament resume. This team is playing inspired. And at the end of the day, three years in a row now, we approach the final two weeks of the regular season with Rutgers men's basketball firmly in the NCAA tournament conversation. And to continue this current one, we welcome back old friend and one of the best bracketologists out there, Brad Wachtel, and we welcome him in now. It's my pleasure to now welcome back to the On the Banks podcast, one of the best and most accurate bracketologists in the country. He runs Facts and Bracks, Brad Wachtel. Thanks so much for being back, Brad. I can imagine you're extremely busy right now and really appreciate you taking time to talk to us once again. Thanks a lot for having me, Aaron. Yeah, it's been uh, it's the best time of year. It's definitely busy, but you know, looking forward to how it all unfolds. So we're talking Monday afternoon, uh, two weeks to go in the regular season. And, you know, I was I was hoping all season that I'd have a good reason to talk to you. Um, obviously, uh, after November, I, I was less optimistic that would happen. Um, and of course, in the last month, Rutgers on, you know, an historic run, tremendous February, all of a sudden back into uh, NCAA tournament conversations a lot of bracketologists over the last week, including Rutgers, in their projections. I know you just came out with one this morning. So why don't you give us a rundown of, of where you have them currently uh, in your bracket? Yeah, so as of this morning, I have Rutgers in the field as a 12 seed in one of the first four games. You know, and, and the reason I have them there in the first four game is because of how poor their net is, um, which is 80, and they would be go on record as the worst net to ever receive an at-large bid. You know, the net hasn't been around for that long, but even in terms of the RPI, that's what the net replaced. Um, never was there a team uh, to get in with an 80 uh, overall metric. So history would be making, uh, would be in the making, but that they're in the first four game because of, you know, the history is shown where a team that, that poor can, it's tough to get in. Right. So I believe last year, Michigan State was number 70 in the net. And um, in 2019, St. John's was 73. Those were the two worst net rankings of all time, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So speaking of that, you know, Rutgers right now, currently, as we speak today, could change, you know, tomorrow morning, but they currently have a six and three record with quad one opponents. They also have three losses between quad three and quad four. Speaking for a lot of Rutgers fans, you know, just and and it's, uh, you know, talking about bias and, and perceived bias and perception, the way the rankings have gone um, in the last week or two, it seems as if losses impact the net ranking more than wins. How true is that actually? And I guess how specific is that been to Rutgers case uh, specifically? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as we as we see the net go by up and down every single day, you know, we're always focused on you know, what did one particular team do? Did they win or did they lose? It's not just how you did. It's also how your opponents did, you know, and I'm sure we'll discuss it, but Rutgers non-conference schedule was not very good. So they played a lot of teams that continue to lose games. They played a lot of teams that are, that are in the net 300 or worse. So those teams aren't helping their case. Whereas you might have a team that, you know, you saw a team like Oregon who had a, much tougher non-conference strength of schedule. They got blown out or they, they played a tight game against Arizona, um, had a strong, efficient game and went up a good, num- good number of points in the net, even though they lost the game. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of a lot of things. It's not just about wins and losses. It's also about how efficient your offense and defense is. 
So there are so many different metrics that go into it now uh, that it's, it's hard to figure out because we don't know the formula that goes into it from the NCAA, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a bias against any particular team right now. I have so many questions for you. You brought up a couple of topics there that I wanted to ask. Why does the NCAA not give the full rundown of what the net entails? And the second part of that is just from what you've seen while the net's been in existence, how much does the committee, the uh, NCAA Tournament Selection Committee, actually rely on the net? So your, your first question, I don't have that answer. You know, originally I thought that there had been some sort of tweaking going on when they first started, uh, you know, the, the net. But we're at the point where there can't be any tweaking going on because obviously that that wouldn't be fair. But I, I do believe they need to reveal what goes into it. I mean, at least for all these teams around the country that schedule and everything, they need to know how important each factor is. I think that would help a lot of teams cases um, and there would be a, a lot less of a surprise uh, in terms of the actual net. It plays a role. Uh, for sure. It is not the end-all be-all either. Uh, The committee is always looking at the total body of work. Who did you beat? Where did you beat them? How did you play away from home? Who did you lose to? Uh, So, and and then nowadays they're also looking at, you know, your metrics, results-oriented metrics, like your strength of record and KPI. And then there's predictive metrics like the BPI, KenPom, and Sadrin. It's, it's a combination of a lot of different things. The net is more of a, you know, I don't want to say it's a total, it's not totally how they seed, but it's just a, it's just another metric in a wide array of, of different numbers that they look at. So is it kind of public perception because the NCAA puts out the net that that is the most important metric? Do you think that that still is true? I think it's very important. And I always think they seem to, to downplay it when they get interviewed and things like that. But it does play a role. You know, we haven't seen a team with, with a net worse than 73 get in the NCAA tournament. You know, you're not seeing like a team that finishes 100 overall, but they had amazing wins get in. Um, there's a reason behind that. I do think the net plays a major role. And I do think it's something that's always there in front of the committee. And if they see, you know, a team like Rutgers who has an 80 net, if you if they want to figure out a way to get them in. Why are they putting them in? You better have stuff on your resume that really, really stands out for that, for you to be considered. And Rutgers has a lot of things that stand out positive and negative. So it's uh, that's, that's why they are right on the cusp right now. So a popular phrase that Rutgers fans are using right now is that Rutgers broke the net, that there's no kind of, I guess, historical comparison or way to properly evaluate it. How do you see it? I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ken Palm, and it's amazing to me how Ken Palm has gotten kind of ripped apart this year, that Rutgers fans think there's a conspiracy there. I mean, at the end of the day, the numbers are the numbers. You know, how much do you think Rutgers' current ED, because I think what happens is people look at comparative resumes, you know, they look at Iowa, you know, they look at an Oregon so far ahead. You know, how, how do you think they sit at 80? I, I know we don't know everything that goes into it, but just kind of, a you know, your expertise, does it make sense to you that that's where they're at and why the differences with, with other teams that on the face of it, you know, have only one or almost zero Q1 wins? Yeah, when I really look into it, it does kind of make sense when you start doing really, really extensive research, even though, you know, like we said, we don't know the formula. You know, for example, you had mentioned, uh, you know, one of the teams like Iowa, who only has one quad one win or one in five Q1, six and eight against Q1 and two opponents, 
and don't have a bad loss, didn't even play the toughest non-conference schedule. But if you go through their results, they blew out so many teams, even like bad teams, but they blew them out. They won by 30, they won by 40. And in a sense, they kind of figured out the net. Whereas you take a look at Rutgers schedule, they had a poor non-conference schedule too, but they didn't, they didn't blow everybody out. Most of the games were actually close, except for the game against Central Connecticut, and they lost the game, which is a disaster because when you have a Q4 loss in general, it's very, very difficult to get a bid. So I, I do think, you know, while did Rutgers break the net? I, don't, I wouldn't say they broke the net, but I would say that it's, it's just such an outlier of what we've seen ever before. Um, and I, and I, there's also other teams out there, you know, obviously we're all Rutgers uh, oriented right now and focused, but even a team like Dayton, uh, who I look at and Dayton beat Kansas, they beat Miami, you know, two teams that are in the tournament right now, they have a net of 52. They're two and two quad one, seven and five quad one and two. They're kind of like the, the Rutgers of the mid majors, but they have three quadrant four losses um, and they're 52 in the net. So for them to get a bid, in my mind, it's almost impossible. Um, and Rutgers, and that's also why I have Rutgers ahead of them. Well, that's so interesting too, that specific example, because they're 25 spots ahead of Rutgers. But, you know, they, I mean, just in, if you look at quad one and then you look at quad four, it seems like they don't have as good of a resume. No, and, and they don't have as good of a resume. But, you know, beating Kansas on a neutral site is better than any win Rutgers has. And, you know, the committee always says, and they, they're consistent with this, what's your best win? And you got to impress us with it. And that's why Dayton is in one of my last, you know, first few teams out of the field. But because the Atlantic 10 is such a, it's a weaker conference, it's tough for them to really climb. So asking about uh, margin of victory, this is one that I feel like is kind of controversial. I've seen takes on this, you know, on both sides. I've even seen, I, I believe the NCAA even put out an article beginning of the season, I, I either saying margin of victory was being de-emphasized or not taken into account, um, but it clearly seems like it is a major factor. W what is your take on margin of victory? Yeah, I think margin of victory is definitely a major factor, but more so it's offensive and defensive efficiency. I think that's what it boils down to. And, you know, points per possession, you know, how many points are you scoring on offense per possession? How many points are you giving up per possession on defense? And now if we look at Rutgers yesterday, you know, after the loss to Purdue, you know, it was you know, lost by 12, covered the spread, you know, respectable loss, played well in the first half. But if you look at the numbers there, Ken Palm dropped, I think, five or six spots because their the defense was, was really, really bad, giving up a ton of points per possession. And obviously Purdue making free throws, making almost every free throw didn't help. From my mind, that's part of the reason why the, Rutgers overall net dropped after yesterday's game. Yeah, yesterday's game was interesting because I, I actually wrote about this. The, their offensive efficiency rating was 113, which is pretty pretty good. But they had the worst defensive efficiency rating in a game they've had all season at 132. Uh, yeah, and Purdue had a video game like 59% free throw rate. So, yeah, that defensive efficiency knocked them back. It's interesting because I think, you know, I get a lot of comments about Ken Palm and people saying, well, I was 20 and, you know, they, they don't understand that in Ken Palm, you know, wins and losses are irrelevant. And I look back at Purdue actually in 1920, 2019, 2020, that season, they, I think their Ken Palm was 22, but they were 16 and 15. 
So they weren't even in the projected field, but they had one of the best efficiency ratings in the country. So it's, I, I think it really kind of throws people for a loop sometimes. Um, so that's interesting. One more question on kind of the philosophy of net, you know, you mentioned scheduling. Uh, we know that, you know, and that's kind of been the biggest criticism of Steve Peichel, his, his tenure at Rutgers is his non-conference philosophy. You know, I know that he likes to kind of test things out with his rotations and getting younger players experience in the non-conference is part of why he does it. But it does seem like what you're saying with net, it's kind of counterintuitive in that you're, you're, you're kind of almost hurting yourself in the sense of not trying to win those games by as much as possible. Um, and obviously they got burned a couple of times this year. But then you have Iowa that did play kind of a poor schedule, but they took care of business. So do you think from a Rutgers perspective, you know, there should be a look at the philosophy of the scheduling or is it almost a change of how you approach that non-conference schedule versus the actual opponents? Yeah. Um, and this is not an attack on Rutgers by any means, but I do believe the non-conference strength uh, schedule and the approach needs to change. Scheduling teams that are going to finish, that you know are going to finish at the bottom of their leagues, like Maine, like Central Connecticut State, you know, uh, Lafayette, like a lot of these teams were not supposed to be very good this year. Um, you know, you have an NCAA tournament caliber team going into the season. So there's two things you could do. One, you can play, get yourself into, into an exempt tournament. Uh, where you're playing, you know, two games at home, two games at a neutral site, or you're playing all your games at a neutral site, because one, that'll help your, you know, if you could win a game away from home, that's going to help your net. Another option is to schedule teams that are mid-major teams, low-major teams that are projected to win their conference, uh, to, to win their conference, or, or maybe not even win, but be towards the top of the standings. Um, and I'm talking about teams like, like a Vermont, you know, Providence schedule Vermont, like a, you know, like a Wagner who is at the top of their league. Um, there's, there's a lot of teams that, you know, you know, Princeton, which is, you know, I know it's a touchy subject with Princeton, um, but that's another team that would help your net. And if, and if you know that you have a good team, you should still be able to beat those teams, um, the teams that are picked to win the lower tier leagues. So that's one of the things that I would highly recommend um, because really you'll, you're still going to win those games but in effect, it's also going to help your net in the long run. Well, I've, I've been on the Princeton, uh, Pr Princeton train for a long time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because I've thought about it. I've, you know, their Ken Palm is typically they're around 150, you know, mid 100s. You know, technically they would be if they did lose to them this year, it would have been even uh, you know worse than UMass in it from a Ken Palm perspective. But as you said, like, you know, Princeton has a chance to win the Ivy now. So I feel like, you know, that the perception of losing to UMass, a bottom A-10 team versus losing to Princeton, even if the metrics are worse for Princeton, perception-wise, it's a better loss, right? Because Princeton's one of the, the I mean, they're, they're probably going to win the Ivy. That's correct. And, you know, you, you take a look at, you know, I'm just looking at other teams that are, that have quad four losses that, you know, maybe didn't schedule nearly as well. Like a team like Florida who just beat Auburn over the weekend. You know, they have wins over Auburn and Ohio State. Those are their two, two key wins. One quad four loss, and that was to Texas Southern earlier in the season at home. And at the time, like, it was, you know, one of the worst losses of the season. Uh, you know where Texas Southern's net is? Texas Southern's net is 198. So you compare that to Rutgers losing to Lafayette. Today, Lafayette is 313. Like, that loss... I don't think people understand how 
bad of a loss that is for your overall metrics. It's not just a quadrant four loss. It's a low quadrant four loss. So, you know, for anybody questioning the net, you know, you, you have to keep that in the back of your mind, even though it was just one game, it's a, it was a brutal game. So to put you on this spot, is there any way to guesstimate if you flip that result and that three at the buzzer doesn't go in, how different is Rutgers net today? I would say their net is probably in the sixties, somewhere in the sixties and they are pretty safely in the field. A couple seats higher looking good for an NCAA bid. All right. So let's, let's get into Rutgers um, scenarios, four games remaining and first, you know, th- this game on Wednesday is obviously uh, fascinating now, uh, not only for the storyline of Rutgers beating Michigan for the first time ever uh, at the rack in January, also with the, you know, the, the the handshake line incident at the end of the game, the Hunter Dickinson screen on Caleb McConnell uh, that kind of started things up. But now obviously coming off of uh, Sunday's controversy, uh, you know, just kind of Terrible ending with Wisconsin. Jawan Howard throwing a slap punch on uh, Wisconsin assistant. Michigan players throwing punches. We don't know yet uh, as of this recording, although we're happy to, hoping to know soon and, and include that in this episode. Um, but in terms of you know whether Jawan Howard's going to play, whether Michigan's going to have players suspended. So two-part question, how important is that, that game for Rutgers from a net perspective? And also, how does the committee look at Michigan if, say, Jawan Howard is suspended for the season? If Jawan Howard is suspended for the season, you're, ta- you're talking about in terms of Michigan's profile or if Rutgers... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, more, more so because Michigan's also on the bubble with Rutgers. Yep. You know, if Howard is out for the rest of the year, you know, how does that impact their resume? Honestly, I think if Howard's out the rest of the year, I don't think it's going to impact them a whole lot. Now, if there are certain players who are out an extended period of time, that's a different story. Um, but other than that, I don't think that would, that would play a, a big role in that. Um, and also, you know, Michigan has Phil Martelli who would take over uh, in all likelihood. And, you know, he's a, he's a really good coach, um, as we know. Um, but in terms of the game, uh, on Wednesday at Michigan, it's, it's a huge game. It's a huge game, whether Michigan is at full strength or whether they're not, you know, we've seen Rutgers play some teams that weren't at full strength, like at Minnesota, where you know, we thought this was a chance Rutgers could, you know, have a nice win on the road and it didn't happen. You know, one thing, you know, I don't want to say you fear, but, you know, sometimes when teams are shorthanded, they come into the game with a different mentality. They play looser. They're almost playing for their coach. They come together. So even though Michigan is probably going to be shorthanded, you know, it's, it's not going to be an easy game, but it is a game. If you are a Rutgers fan and if you're the NCAA committee, you're watching this because this is a game Rutgers should now win. And a win would be very helpful. A, it's on the road. It would be a quad one win. That would put them at seven and three against quad one teams, which is which is 70% is, is excellent. And you're competing against Michigan for a bit. So a win at Michigan would do wonders. Um, and you would hope that that 80 net would hopefully get closer towards, you know, my guess is hopefully closer towards 70. I don't know if it would go up any further than that, depending on offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency, all of that stuff. But but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a huge one. So let's let's say scenario wise, let's say Rutgers loses. 
They still have two quad one opportunities left in the regular season. They host Wisconsin uh, this weekend. Then they go at Indiana uh, next week. And of course, followed by Penn State at home on senior night. Let's say they lose Michigan. They're down to six and four in quad one opportunities. We don't know how the net would be affected, but in in theory, um, with those two quad one opportunities still there, how impactful would that Michigan loss be in terms of um, Rutgers needing to overcome it? Uh, They would be able to overcome it. I I do believe that. One would hope their net wouldn't drop that much, but you know, you just lost to Purdue and the net dropped a lot more than people thought. But what it does is it puts pressure on Rutgers, a lot of pressure to beat Wisconsin at home, you know, and obviously they got him on the road, but now this is, it's hard to sweep a team. You know, any, any head coach will tell you that it's hard to sweep a team, no matter how good or how bad they are. And even though, you know, Wisconsin seemed like it's a pretty good matchup, there's going to be some stress on that game from a fan's perspective, from a player's perspective, from a coach's perspective. And that could turn into the game that decides their fate. So let's just uh, looking at it more uh, broadly. Let's say Rutgers finishes two and two in the regular season. Most big 10 regular season wins in program history finish at 12 and eight. They would be at 18 and 12. Uh, Let's just assume that Penn state is one of them on senior night. Probably difficult for any, of course, can't, can't assume that's a win, but certainly probably the best opportunity left on their schedule in terms of a projection. They're actually projected to win per Ken Palm, the only game they're projected to win. And then they get one out of the three quad one wins. How do you look at their resume going into the Big Ten tournament? Yeah, I, I think I would view them in a very similar spot. I have them now. It's possible they're in a better place depending on how other bubble teams play you know, around them. And there's a lot of bubble teams right now. You know, really anybody that you see as a 10 seed or worse, and then the top seven or eight teams that are out of the field, all of these teams can go either way. Uh, so, the, you know, the better the better you play down the stretch, you know, the more helpful it's going to be. So it's hard to say exactly where I'll have them. I would still have them in for sure if they get two more wins. Would they be safely in? Would I call them a lock? I don't know at this point. And I know, you know, people say like, oh, with 12 wins, they're a lock, they're a lock, they're a lock. I get that but there's still so much that could, that could happen. I would feel good about it. I would feel good about their chances. Um, but I don't know if I would call them a lock. And, and like I said, there's just so many other teams that can, so many things can change uh, with conference tournaments. But I will say this, heading into the conference tournament, let's say Rutgers ends up as the sixth seed. You know, they would play the winner of the 11-14 game, which would be, you know, one of them would be Nebraska. Uh, let's say Nebraska upsets the 11 seed and Rutgers has to play Nebraska. If Rutgers loses to Nebraska, we have problems. So that's why it's, it's hard to call them a lock at that. A lot of factors that go into it. Right. That makes a lot of sense. You know, conference tournaments, some pretty crazy things can happen. We saw last year with Georgetown coming out of nowhere. So let's just say in general, though, they go two and two. They win that first game in the Big Ten tournament. Irregardless of net, we obviously don't know where it's going to be. Probably, you know, let's say they have just one more quad one win. How confident would you be? Obviously, kind of a loaded question. You don't know where everyone else is, but just in general, on the face of it, you know, where Rutgers would be at that point, you know, any any kind of take on on where you think they might be at that point in terms of getting an NCAA bid on Selection Sunday? Yeah, I, I would feel good about it. You know, I would say if you're putting a percentage at it right now, I'd probably say I'd feel 80 to 90% good about it. Wow. Okay. I do believe that. Now, depending on how much their net rises, like assuming it's somewhere in the seventies, I would be pretty sure that they would still be in the first four game, even though other parts of their resume might be better than a lot of other teams. 
But yeah, I would feel pretty good about it, you know, based on the way things are going, you know, like I said, no guarantee, but getting another quad one win, avoiding a loss to Penn State, avoiding a loss to a potential Nebraska or whoever they play, um, really Nebraska, you know, that would, that would, uh, things would look good. All right. So let's, uh, let's run through another scenario. If you don't mind, let's say Rutgers loses the next three games, all quad one games, two on the road. They lose at home to Wisconsin. They have Penn state to end the regular season. Let's give them the win there. They're one in three. They finish 11 and nine in the big 10, probably, I don't know, seventh place, possibly eighth, depending, but you go into the big 10 tournament, Again, I know this isn't impossible to fully answer, but do you think they need a minimum of two wins in that situation? I would think so, yes. Um, you know, if you're a seven seed, a 10 seed, you're, you're potentially facing another NCAA tournament hopeful. You would definitely need to win that game. And yeah, I mean, you're looking at, because if, if you don't, if you only win one game, I just, I just don't see it. I just don't think that's enough. Two games, I'd feel much better about their situation. How much does it change if that one win, one in three, is a quad one and if it's on the road? Yeah, uh, well, especially if they do lose to Penn State at home, that could end up turning into a quad two loss, which in essence is, is a good thing. But yeah, getting another road win you know, against a Michigan or an Indiana teams that they're competing against, that would be more beneficial. You know, I, I mean, yes and no. Wisconsin is still you know, a surefire top four seed right now, but always... You know, one of the things that you look at their resume and like I said earlier, things that stand out three and eight on the road and neutral road, neutral three and eight, which is worse than every other bubble team they are competing with. So, yes, getting one of those road wins matters more. All right. A couple more for you, Brad, uh, just in terms of the Big Ten as a whole, you know, and I, you touched on this briefly in terms of, you know, say they finish 12 and eight in the Big Ten, you know, on the face of it and traditionalists. And, and I've even said it, you know, it feels like, you know, you're almost daring the committee at that point. To, you know, are you really going to leave a fifth or sixth place team in the Big Ten out of the NCAA tournament? How much does you know, conference affiliation and standing within the conference matter. And based on the committee, you know, aside from the net, I mean, people always bring up, you know, of course, we, we, you're a Rutgers grad. We, we know the RU screw. We've all had our own individual experiences. One thing I look at as a positive is that Rutgers has never had the Big Ten behind them when it comes to lobbying for a bid. How much does that really happen, you think, uh, you know, within the committee of the Big Ten member kind of pushing for, for their own teams, obviously? So first of all, if, if there is a Big Ten member on the committee, they're, they're really, well, I mean, not supposed to. you're not, but you're not, no, you're not supposed to. Um, and, and honestly, I don't think it plays a role. I really don't. Um, I don't think where you finish in the conference plays a role at all. You know, Rutgers could finish sixth place in the conference and teams seven and eight can get in and they can be left out. 100%. You know, a few years ago, Nebraska finished fourth place, I believe, in the, in the Big Ten, and they did not make the NCAA tournament. It really, you know, conference standings matter for the Big Ten tournament, but they don't matter for anything else. And in terms of how you view the Big Ten right now, uh, how many teams do you have in the field and how many do you have on the bubble? And, and what, what is your gut in terms of, you know, how many will ultimately get in? Yeah, so I, I never count the number of teams I have from each conference because I don't <laughs> Cause I don't do it that way. Everything is a team by team basis. I believe I have nine teams in though. Locks are Purdue, Illinois, Wisconsin, Ohio state, Michigan state. I would say those are the all five. Teams, all teams. 
feet, by the way. I just had to get that in. That's correct. That's correct. Those are five locks right now. Um, I would say Iowa is likely in. And then you have, you know, some bubble teams. You have Michigan, you have Indiana, and of course you have Rutgers. Ultimately, I don't think all of those teams will get in. I think probably one of those teams will get left out, possibly two. But if I had to guess right now, I'd say one would get left out. So if let's say, you know, obviously Rutgers goes to both Michigan and Indiana, how potentially devastating would that be for Michigan and Indiana if they lose to Rutgers at home? Uh, Ultimately, I don't think it would be devastating because if Rutgers wins, it would only go down as a quad two loss for Michigan and for Indiana. So that that benefits them. So that doesn't crush them, but it hurts them in the fact that, you know, you have a chance to pick up another quality win against a team you're competing with. And if you lose to them at home, you know, while head to head isn't a huge factor, if you watch the the committee reveal the top 16 teams, they did mention head to head. So it could be a factor. And if it does come down to a Rutgers, Michigan, Indiana, and Rutgers beat Michigan twice, and they beat one at Indiana, and they have the better quadrant numbers, you know, I'd I'd be hard pressed to, to choose one of those two teams over Rutgers. All right. So last question for you, Brad, take your bracketologist hat off and uh, being a Rutgers grad, former uh, staffer at Rutgers, you know, um, working in operations for the program. How impressed are you with the way they've turned things around in the last month, the job that Peichel's done? And, you know, on the face of it, the eye test, what do you think their potential is moving forward? Yeah. I mean, from an eye test perspective, uh, this looks like a team that could make a run in the NCAA tournament. Um, I think what Steve Peichel has done is unbelievable. I mean, it, he's, it's everything. The results speak for themselves. Uh, we always knew the rack was a huge advantage. We always knew. And if and when Rutgers, no matter how good or bad Rutgers was, the, the rack, when it's full, it's a tough place to play. But I think the way that he's developed his players, the way they defend, the way he has players on his team that go all out, they play harder than any other team in the Big Ten in a league that has a lot of tough teams. It's a definitely a testament to Steve Peichel. Um, and, you know, the, the, the team has taken on his personality uh, and he's obviously done an unbelievable job. And, and I really think, you know, when you're talking about NCAA tournament, you, if they're fortunate enough to get in, it always comes down to matchups. So if they get the right matchups, I could see them making a deep run and, you know, deep run, getting into the Sweet 16, and maybe further, who knows? Um, but I think that's, as a fan, if you're a fan from an outside, you know, or an outsider's perspective, that's what you could hope for. Um, that's what you should root for. And, and that's a realistic expectation at this point. Brad Wachtel, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Check him out at Facts and Bracks uh, on Twitter at Brad underscore Wachtel, W-A-C-H-T-E-L. Uh, anything else I should add about uh, your site? Nah, nothing much. Just uh, I appreciate all the people that do follow me now. And, uh, you know, we're going to ramp things up over the next few weeks and, you know, let's hope there's a good ending. And, and how, how often are you updating your brackets right now? So I'm updating it twice a week, uh, typically Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, chances are that's going to increase over the course of the next week or so. Well, I should note that you're uh, annually rated in the, in the top 20 of, of all bracketologists, over 150, and many notable bracketologists out there, the originals, um, you, you always score much higher then. So I can't, uh, can't say how, how great of a job you do enough. Thank you for your time, and uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much to Brad Wachtel for joining us once again and giving tremendous insight on the current picture and also running through some scenarios that Rutgers needs to, you know, Rutgers fans can consider 
throughout the end of this regular season. I don't think I'll be comfortable declaring anything a guarantee, but I think there's so much weight on this Michigan game because I think not that there won't be pressure on every single game from here on out, but if you get that first one uh, and it being a key quad one road win, um, I think it keeps momentum going um, from this recent win streak. And I think it just, you know, builds momentum, builds confidence. You know, I don't think Saturday's game at home against Wisconsin is a, is a, you know, uh, an easy game whatsoever. You know, the Badgers are currently one of the top 16 um, projected seeds in the NCAA tournament field. They're certainly, you know, going to be looking for payback after that loss in Madison a couple of weeks ago. So getting that win at Michigan just would be so huge for this program, for this team. Um, and I think if they play their game and play together and play the way they've been um, and they come out, I think the key, uh, you know, start to that game, the first 10 minutes, they need to establish themselves defensively take care of the basketball. If they can do that, if they play smart, limit turnovers, um, and really play to their potential defensively, I think they're going to win that game. And, I, I, you know, to, to not only sweep Michigan for the first time ever, you know, and, and, and really hurt their bubble chances, but really solidify their own with that win with three games to go would just be so big. And I think, you know, listen, this, this team is, is uh, on the eye test. You know, everyone's saying it, it, they're, they're firmly in, in the pictures of, of many national analysts uh, worthy of making the NCAA tournament. But there's no, there's no wiggle room here. You know, they, they have to finish strong. And uh, I think that's a minimum of two wins, uh, hopefully more. I think it's, you know, it's, it's a weird, weird time where I, I look at the schedule. I, I, I think all four games are going to be tough. I, I think they can win all four games, to be honest. I, but of course, you know, the way this team has been, they could lose all four as well, even playing well, just because of the competition. Even Penn State, listen, they're not an easy out. I think their, their head coach, Micah Shrewsbury, is very good. And uh, that team has played hard all season as well. So it's going to be a wild ride these next two weeks. Um, as a college basketball fan, this is what this is what we want. And uh, as Rutgers fans, as I said before, you know, three years in a row now, Steve Peichel has his team in contention. Uh, would have gone in 2020 if not for COVID. Went last year, made the sec, uh, you know, won a game. This year, it just didn't feel right in January with the season slipping away. And this team has righted the ship incredibly during the, the the choppiest part of their schedule, the roughest waters that they've they've gone through. And um, here we are two weeks ago, four games to go. Rutgers men's basketball firmly in contention for another NCAA tournament bid. Stick with us here at On the Banks. Full coverage throughout for all Rutgers sports, including men's basketball. You can follow us on Twitter, OTB underscore SB Nation. Thanks so much for listening once again here at On the Banks. Follow On the Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On the Banks Podcast.